Christ is risen. Before we get into our new section, I want to just see if there's anything lingering from last time. We kind of rushed in talking about the, the hymnody of this period, um, but mainly is talking about the, the hymns of Ambrose and those modeled after his hymns. He, he's got Savior of the Nations Come, O Splendor of God's Glory Bright are the two in our hymnal. Um, but then there's a lot of other hymns that were, other hymn writers that we don't, we don't know who they are, wrote hymns in the same, the same form. Um, but many of those, they'll be called Ambrose-type hymns or Ambrosian hymns. But, um, uh, but there's really only like four that have been pinned to, uh, to Ambrose particularly. Uh, the other one is Prudentius, the hymns of Prudentius from this time period. Uh, and that, the, the, the main one is uh, Of the Father's Love Begotten. Uh, from Christmas time, Of the Father's Love Begotten. Beautiful hymn, very uh, deep, this, the Latin hymnody. Then the next stretch in the Middle Ages is going to be a whole bunch of other Latin hymns that exist in the Middle Ages that we, we know and we have in the hymnal um, too. But these, these early ones kind of limited to Ambrose. Uh, but, but the hymns of Ambrose are kind of a big deal. Um, like a a Augustine remembers like um, hearing the, the hymns uh, and being impressed by those kind of before converting to Christianity. Okay. Well, this next section um, is the controversies and councils uh, from this period. Uh, this is, the, as you can see from the handout, there's a lot of material in here. Um, and this is going to be a little bit heavy, like theologically, but I think it's important for us to, to see this. We've got years of controversy, difficulty of, of arguing back and forth, uh, debate on, on the, mainly the doctrine of Christ in this time. And we, we run the risk of taking that all for granted. We get to confess the creed every week. The creed that these people fought over, and even when it was adopted, then there was still controversy because not everyone bought into it. Um, we, you know, we just, we kind of do, we'll just say, you know, of one substance with the Father, we'll just confess these words of the creed. But just to realize that people, like, they, they bled and they fought and they were exiled or they got kicked out or they lost their positions or they were killed even. Um, all, for these to, to wrestle with this. Like this was hard fought. It's kind of like so in our country, you know, we take for granted sometimes, we, we run the risk of taking for granted freedoms that, that our forefathers fought for, you know, in texts, you know, like, our, like a Declaration of Independence or like a Constitution, that they fought hard for these, for these things that, said they, that they were convinced that this was right and it was worth fighting for it in that case, right? Um, and, and we come later on and we have no idea, per, perhaps, we, we have the words, we have the creed in front of us, but we don't know what the, what the argument was about. Just, well, just like in, in, with our political freedom or our natu national freedoms, we run the risk of losing them if we don't understand what they were about, right? We, if we take them for granted and we don't think that that's that important, something that our forefathers thought was very important, we run the risk... Um, in the church 
if we just take these things for granted, we do run the risk of falling into the same errors and not knowing it. So, so it's, I think it's worth, and, and these doctrines, all of the ones that we're going to talk about today, these are all about Jesus. This is all, and, and we, might, we might wonder, like, what's the, what's the big deal? You know, why the, why the, the fussing over just a single letter in a word, in a creed? Um, this is, gets up to the very heart of who Jesus is and what he did. So I think, it, I think it's valuable for us to look through it. So the first one, um, let's look at your timeline just so you can kind of see where we are. Um, the things that we'll be point noting will be things like these are the, the councils that come up during this time, Nicaea, Constantinople, Ephesus, Chalcedon. There were some others that were smaller in different places. Um, those are the big ones. Um, but we're, and we're mainly starting kind of at the, after this time when Christianity is now legal. Remember that was uh, three, what, 311, 312 when, when Christianity becomes legal. 325 is going to be the Council of Nicaea. It's going to be after this. It's going to be the, in the time when Christianity is legal that they, I mean, perhaps it allowed that. These teachings, these false teachings may have been going on before this. But it was illegal to be a Christian, so you couldn't you couldn't have a council, because then everyone would know who the Christians were. Um, but let's let's look. So first, um, and as an overview, these are the ones, and these are the ones that are on your sheet, kind of in the same order. Uh, you have Arianism, uh, Apollinarianism, Pelagianism, Nestorianism, Monophysitism. I know that those are the big big titles. Um, uh, but we'll look at what each of those are generally in their own words or in the words of people at that time. Okay? So we start with Arianism. We've got Arius. Um, you know, who is a, a teacher in the church, a bishop in the church? Um, he's, he's not just like a guy that comes out of nowhere that starts spouting stuff. He's, he, he's a pastor. Um, and he's the, his... His hang-up is this line, and I've got it there in, in Greek there, not that I expect you to read the Greek. Ein pote hote uk ein. Um, they're very short words, but what it is, there was when he was not. And it's talking about Jesus. That there was a time, there was a point when Jesus wasn't. Okay? Um, so uh, this is not from Arius, this is about Arius. Um, he had the audacity to preach in the church that no one before, what no one before him ever suggested, that the Son of God was made out of that which had no prior existence, that there was when he existed not, that as possessing free will, he was capable of vice and virtue, and that he was created and made, so that Jesus was not, what was the impact of that? That if Jesus, if there was a time when Jesus was not, that is, he's not eternal, then what is he not? He's not true God. He, they kind of would talk about him as like the first creation of God. He, there, there was a point, and, and he gets that from, well, it doesn't say that Jesus is begotten. And if he's begotten, that means there was a time that he wasn't. He didn't exist at some point in time. Um, uh, so this is Arius' words. Um, before he was begotten or created or purposed or established, he was not. For he was not unbegotten. We are persecuted because we say that the Son has a beginning. 
Um, and then also Arius saying he is not equal, no, nor in essence, one in essence with him, that is with God. Um, The, uh, the Athanasian Creed does address some of that in, in detail. I mean, it's uh, expansive. Yeah. And so the Athanasian Creed is named after this Athanasius, but Athanasius didn't write the Athanasian Creed. It came later. Um, but it's named after Athanasius because Athanasius was, was one of those who stood up against Arius and said, no, that's not correct. And this is this controversy um, was was significant. There, it was um, it wasn't like it was Arius alone that was saying these things. He was kind of sort of just the ringleader, right? A lot of people had had believed this, um, and so uh, he is. It is addressed. So before the Nicene Creed, before three twenty five. 318 already at Alexandria, he is deposed. Uh, he's removed from his position, but his teaching is still around. So that by 325, uh, Con Constantine, the Christian emperor, calls this council because he sees that this is just threatening to divide Christianity, this teaching. So we need to have a council, we need to gather the bishops together to figure this out. Uh, so the Council of Nicaea. Uh, and, and what you have in front of you, um, there is the creed that they come, with, up, come up with at Nicaea. Uh, and you can see that it is similar to what I will, will just, you might notice that this is not exactly like what we confess in the Nicene Creed. I don't know if you, so we believe in one God, Father Almighty, maker of all things visible and invisible. And in one Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, begotten of his Father, only begotten, that is, of one essence with the Father. God of God, light of light, true God of true God, begotten, not made. So of one, what do we say, how does our, like, our version go? Of one being with the Father? Um, so that homoousius, homo, homo, you, you recognize that, meaning the same, right? There were some who, who taught heterousius, Meaning other, so ousius means substance, like essence, being. Um, and so homo, ousius, means same substance, same being. Uh, hetero, ousius, would be other being. So there were some who taught that. That was a, a, a further extreme position. But at the council, there were some who held to a homoi, ousius. And homoi means similar, means like, of like substance. So they were kind of, the Hamoi people were kind of in between, and they were saying, well, okay, he's not of the same substance with God, but he's, he's like God. See, it's, that was, came down to one letter in the creed. Um, is, is he of the same substance with the Father? Is he equal to the Father? Or is he just like the Father? Um, and the, the conclusion, the creed, so it's like the same substance, humble, ousius. Uh, then, then you've got the rest, the rest of it, by whom all things were made, both things in heaven and things on earth, who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven and was made flesh and became man, 
suffered and arose again on the third day, ascended into the heavens and comes to judge the living and the dead and in the Holy Spirit. And and that's as far as the third article goes in the Nicene Creed here. Um, I'll we'll explain that in a minute. But then there's more to it. They said, those who say that there was when he was not, the Arians, and before being begotten he was not, and he was made out of things that were not, or those who say that the Son of Man was of a different hypostasis or ousia, um, a being uh, or a creature or capable of change or alteration, these the Catholic Church anathematizes. Um, in here, when 325, when they say the Catholic Church, they're using it in the general. So the, the role, they weren't, at this point, Catholic, Rome was one place uh, and a center of Christianity already by this time, but it was not the center. Of, it was not the Roman Catholic Church. They're just saying, just like what the Creed says. In fact, what the Creed will say when we get to the the Nicene Creed, they actually use the word Catholic for the Holy Christian Church. We translate it the Christian Church. Yeah. Um, but it's not, this, it's, it's not complete. We'll get there. It wasn't actually finished yet. But this is the Nicene Creed. This is the, the issue at Nicaea. Um, uh, and as a part of this, Arius is, so he was already deposed. He is excommunicated. He is exiled. But that doesn't settle the controversy, really. Not generally. It does kind of officially with the creed. The creed is adopted. But that doesn't mean that it necessarily wins yet. Um, Because there were a lot of variants, a lot of people um, falling to this. And so after the the Council of Nicaea, uh, there's, there's more... There's more debate, more going back and forth. Um, one interesting story from the Council of Nicaea. One of the, one of the bishops that was assembled there is, is a man by the name of Nicholas, Nicholas of Myra. Um, later on became known as Saint Nicholas of Myra. So the guy who's from whom comes Saint Nick, Santa Claus, Santa, Saint Claus, Nicholas. So this was a real guy, a bishop in the church of, of the, to the town of Mira. And he was, uh, the story goes, and I don't know, uh, historians will argue about whether this is made up or something, but there's a lot of, uh, uh, that Nicholas hearing Arius saying these things of Jesus, that he is not true God, got so frustrated with this that he got up and slapped him in the face, Arius. <laughs> And, and subsequently, he was um, rebuked for slapping him in the face, because that's not nice. Um, not the way to solve the problem. Um, but, but he was, he was I mean, he had, he had some fire in him. Um, and, uh, but, and as a result, he was robbed of his, they had like a, like, kind of like a stole. It was a, it was a, a thing that, that bishops wore a garment that bishops wore to show them as the, as the bishop, and then something else um, stripped of his, um, his personal copy of the Gospels um, that, that a bishop would have. For a time, I think he re- regained his, his office later on, but he was, he was rebuked for that, but he apparently did that. I, again, I don't know. Um, you know St. Nick is the defender, as defender of the faith. He was there, and it, it was on the side of... Uh, 
the, the, the orthodox position. Uh, so following, following this, though, Athanasius is not like, you know, so we might think he's the hero, right? But he's not the hero. Or he doesn't come across as the hero. He is, ends up being exiled five times following the, the, Nic- the Council of Nicaea. Because at one time, the, the emperor didn't like the, what he was saying because he's calling this wrong. Um, and so he gets sent off, to, I don't even know where. Um, but he's sent off in exile. Then the emperor dies and he gets to come back for a while. But then the following emperor exiles again, banishes him. Um, uh, eventually they let him come back when he's just about dead and then he dies. Um, so, so this isn't over. Uh, you can see that on the sheet there, that, that quote, the one quote that we have from, from Athanasius himself. <laughs> and this is commonly attributed. Athanasius against the world and the world against Athanasius. So he's on the side of the truth, defending Jesus' divinity, but he is constantly on the, he's being attacked. And he's getting um, you know, exiled, and it feels like he feels like he's all alone. Like Athanasius against the world. Like everyone is, is holding to this. On the Catholic Church, is that the way we know it today, or is that not the way we would say it happened? Yeah, that, it, the second, it, not the Roman Catholic Church. Right. Yes. Yeah. The Roman is the Right, yeah. Which, there is a church in Rome at this time, but it's not the church. Right, and, and like eventually Rome gets a big head and thinks that it's the only church in the main church, and it calls itself the the only church. The real church is the Roman church, and the Roman pope, the Roman bishop, is the head over all the bishops. That's what creates the Roman Catholic Church, where the bishop of Rome, the pope, takes primacy over all the other churches. That happens. Politically, it is today, but for for this, like when, when they're dealing with that, they have the city of Rome. Vatican it doesn't exist at this point. Okay. Yeah, as as a, as a nation, that's that's a later, much later thing. Um, and we'll talk about that when we go through the Middle Ages. We'll we'll have a whole section talking about the rise of the papacy and the and the Roman primacy over the rest of the church. Um, that's a, that's a whole thing that comes, but comes later. You, I would say that the Eastern Church, like centered in Constantinople, or Alexandria and Egypt, is stronger at this time in, in church history. Um, although the empire, the Roman Empire, is headquartered in Rome. It is still the Roman Empire, which probably affects bringing the centralization there. Um, here's, this is Gregor of Nyssa, and we'll talk about him later on. Um, but he's, he, he's explaining, so, so if you're on the street in Constantinople, um, and, and you want to talk about something, he says, if you ask anyone in Constantinople for change, he will start discussing you whether the sun is begotten or unbegotten. If you ask about the quality of bread, you'll get the answer, the father is greater, the son is less. If you suggest taking a bath, you'll be told, there was nothing before the sun was created. It's like, what's the buzz on the street in Constantinople? What are people talking about? It's this. Like this was, it was so, it, it, this, this was on everyone's mind. Um, which maybe seems strange to us. Like we'd rather just talk about the weather. And you're like, you try to talk about the weather and they're like, 
was there really a time when Jesus was not? <laughs> or just that they're, they're uh, whether this side or that side arguing, debating among, it was a popular thing, and there were people who, who fell on different sides of this. Yeah. Uh, so following up on that, uh, the Council of Constantinople, or Con- of Nicaea, comes the Council of Constantinople. New emperor now, Theodosius, calls this council. Uh, oh, I did it for the, the last quote on the, on the sheet there, on the bottom of that page, where Jerome says, the whole world woke from a deep slumber and discovered that it had become Arian. So he makes the observation that it, like, they, were, they were just kind of going along, woke from, like, as if they just woke up and then all of a sudden realized that everyone was believing Arianism. Not everyone. It wasn't everyone, but it felt like that. It was widespread. Right? Uh, so, Council of Constantinople, Theodosius calls it, they don't invite the bishops from the West. Um, and some of those who were, there were some who were, had a, a, they didn't believe the Holy Spirit was God. That was another controversy. We won't get into that too much. Um, but certain people weren't, weren't allowed to come to it. The, the product of this council is the Niceno-Constantinopolitan Creed. So it takes the Nicene Creed that we have there and expands particularly in the section on the Holy Spirit. So the Holy, I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who in unity with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified. That whole section, that's from this council. Uh, because these, this group called the Macedonians, um, or Macedonius, uh, were teaching that the Holy Spirit also wasn't true God. And so then they have, they, they, they add onto it, as well as official, again, condemning Arianism as false. Yeah. Not according to the scriptures. Um, so it's got that extra section on the, on the Holy Spirit, and as well as on the Holy, Christ, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints. Um, uh, that whole section. Yeah. So, so technically, when we say we're going to say the Nicene Creed, technically we're not saying the Nicene Creed. Detail. Technically, we say the Nicene-Constantinopolitan Creed. But we call it Nicene Creed for short. I mean, most of it does come from Nicaea, but it, it really, the, the full text of it really dates from 381 to this council rather than actually at Nicaea. It starts at Nicaea, so... We call it Nicene Creed for short. If you want to, if you, you know, if someone compelled me to, and we want to print in Niceno Constantinopolitan Creed, we could do it, but that's not usually what we call it. Okay. So now Apollinarianism is. Uh, so we'll go through these these one by one. Further controversies that come, and in many ways these come as reactions to other things. So Apollinarianism. Um, comes from Apollinarius, the guy of Laodicea. And as a reaction to Arianism that says that Jesus is not fully God, Apollinarius kind of reversing court or going like, it's like an uh, overreaction. You know, like you, you, you fall off the ditch in one area and then you yank the, the wheels to the other side and you go off in the ditch on the other side. Um, that's kind of what he does. And he ends up saying that Jesus isn't fully man. So there's that description at the top in italics. An Alexandrian 
theologian named Apollinarius, could not see how Christ could have the divine mind and a human mind if he was one person sinless and a true savior. Apollinarius concluded that Jesus was human as far as his flesh was concerned, but that in him the divine mind of the Logos replaced the fallible and sin-bent mind of men. So like, so Jesus is, is, is really a man as far as the rest of them, but he had like a brain transplant, and he got the br- God brain, <laughs> like, because he thought that if he had a, had a human mind, that would, that would corrupt things. Okay? Op, in opposition from the, the Cappadocian fathers. Now, through, these are three men, the three Cappadocian fathers. We're going to talk about them in our next section. On the, on, we're going to go through ten church fathers. We'll go through all three of them. It's Gregory of Nyssa, Gregory of Nazianzus, and Basil the Great. Um, these three men. Th- these were kind of the, the, the champions against this, and they were teaching. This is an example of this, these three paragraphs um, by Gregory of Nyssa. Where, so he's responding to Apollinarius here in these 24, 27, 28. Um, so look at 24. He says, That the omnipotent nature was capable of descending to man's low, lowly position is clearer evidence of power than great and supernatural miracles. For it somehow accords with God's nature and is consistent with it to do great and sublime things by divine power. But descent to man's lowly position is a supreme example of power, of a power which is not bounded by circumstances contrary to its nature. We marvel at the way that the sublime entered a state of lowliness, and while actually seen in it, did not leave the heights. We marvel at the way the Godhead was entwined in human nature, and while becoming man, did not cease to be God. What's he saying? He's saying it's... Miracles, God can do miracles, right? He can do powerful things. This is like mucho powerful that God can become a man. More powerful. I mean, he, this is a, a, a sublime to, for God to be able to descend to become a human being. I mean, this is why we celebrate Christmas, right? Because this is such, we maybe take that for granted. The magnificence that God could actually become a man and not lose his godness, his divinity. How, how is that possible? We are so, well, we are sinful and unclean and all of this thing and, and limited in every way. I mean, how can God, how can, how can the entirety of the divine nature be encapsulated in a baby? Um, this is another, this is Johann Gerhardt later on, Lutheran theologian. He says, it is a greater miracle of God that God should be able to die than that he would raise the dead. To raise the dead is easy. But to put himself in, in, in the form, in a human form that can actually die. That, that's, this is a greater miracle. Um, I'll skip 27. Let's go to 28. But our opponents ridicule human nature and keep stressing the presumably unworthy manner of our birth. But evil and what is akin to it 
are alone essentially shameful. Only evil is evil. The whole course of our nature has been arranged by God's will and law, and hence it is far removed from the censure of evil. Otherwise, the condemnation of our nature would reflect upon the Creator if any aspect of it could be charged with being disgraceful or improper. The only thing alien to the divine is evil. Nature is not evil. So if the idea is that human flesh, human, the human crea- creature, is intrinsically evil, that means that God created evil. Intrinsically. What is, what is humanity? Is, is humanity evil? Only if God created it to be evil. And the scripture clearly tells us that it did not. That God did not. Mankind and, and even human flesh is a good creation of God. And, and so to, to assume that in order for Jesus to, ent- to take on completely a human being... To, to become truly flesh would be to call good creation evil. Um, and of course, you know, uh, God did create human beings without sin, right? We fell into sin, right? But if, if, um, <coughs> if being sin, human is to be sinful, then they, Adam and Eve were not sinless before the fall, and neither could Jesus be sinless, or neither could he be true, truly human, if being human means to be sinful. Um, so, uh, this, this is, you know, they, they, they write against it. Um, Theodosius, the emperor, outlaws this teaching. But, you know, the interesting thing is, you could come, go to the Reformation, our Lutheran fathers had to deal with the same, someone saying something very similar. And so in our formula of Concord, in the book of Concord, um, they had to deal with someone who kind of took the step too far and was saying that humanity itself, like our nature itself, human nature itself was sinful. Said it again. We had to deal with it again. Um, These same things, if we don't know that they, we don't uh, understand these, we're we're likely to fall into them again. Um, Gregory of Nazianzus, another... Another Cappadocian father said in the next paragraph, if anyone has put his trust in Christ as a man without a human mind, he is really bereft of mind and quite unworthy of salvation. Um, For that, this is an important sentence, for that which he has not taken up, he has not healed. See, if Jesus doesn't become fully human, he hasn't saved all of you. If he didn't have a human mind, he didn't save your mind. Jesus has come to take our place in every way, in every aspect of our being, our humanity. So why does, you know, why does he have to be conceived in the womb of a virgin? He has to save the babies too. He saves us from our, our whole being. Um, and he takes up all aspects of our humanity. That which he has not taken up, he has not healed. Uh, but that which is un- united to his Godhead is also saved. If only half Adam fell, then Christ could have taken up and saved half. But if the whole of his nature fell, the whole human nature must be united to the whole nature of the Son of God and so be saved as a whole. Let them not then begrudge us our complete salvation 
or clothe the Savior only with bones and nerves and outward traits of humanity? How is Christ man if he's without a human mind? For man is not a mindless animal. But, says he who proposes this, the Godhead took the place of the human intellect in Christ. How does this touch me? For God had joined to flesh alone is not man, nor to soul alone, but to both apart from the intellect, and nor to both apart from the intellect, which is the most essential part of man. Keep then the whole man and mingle Godhead with it that you may benefit me in my completeness. It was the mind of Adam which received the command and failed to keep it. My, my mind needs to be saved too. My whole being does. So I need Jesus to, to be human in all of him. Um, and, and you see how this detail about you know, this doctrinal distinction, this is not just an argument about words. This is to say, am I saved or not? Did Jesus save all of me or not? See how, how, how important this is. All right, that's Apollinarianism. Questions on that before we move to our friend Pelagius. Pelagius? Um, he's an Englishman, a uh, British monk. Uh, back they had the back three hundreds, um, uh, and he was teaching. You have um, basically uh, he's denying original sin uh, and teaching that man by nature has powers, namely of the will, that he can then decide to choose to do what is right or do what is wrong, and therefore his salvation then is dependent on whether he chooses the right rather than chooses the wrong. That man has the will basically to do right and save himself. This comes up later on. This, well, this is, this is works righteousness. Or this is decision theology in the 1800s. This is um, this idea that man is not completely, his, his, his nature is not completely fallen, that he has some powers to choose for himself um, the, the right. Now, so, so uh, the Council of Carthage then writes against Pelagian, Pelagianism. Um, number one, they say death has, did not come to Adam from a physical necessity, but through sin. Death came through sin. Death, wages of sin is death. Number two, newborn children must be baptized on account of original sin. Because they have sin, they need the saving. Justifying grace not only avails for the forgiveness of past sins, but also gives assistance for the avoidance of future sins. For the grace of Christ not only discloses the knowledge of God's commandments, but also imparts strength to will and execute them. The old, the power to do what is right comes from the outside. That's the thrust of it. It comes by God's grace. That we would have the power to, to uh, fight against sin, avoid sin, um, the strength to will. Our new will is one that's given to us, again, from the outside, by God's grace, by his forgiveness. Uh, number five, without God's grace, it is not merely more difficult, but absolutely impossible to perform good works. Um, Bible verse, by faith, without faith it is impossible to please God. It is impossible to do the will of God to... to perform good works that are truly good in God's eyes, apart from the grace of God and faith. Uh, number six, not out of humility, but in truth, we must confess ourselves to be sinners. Uh, number seven, the saints refer the petition 
of our Father forgive us our trespasses, not only to others, but also to themselves. Who says forgive us our trespasses? Everyone prays that. Because all are sinned. Even the saints, even the believers. Um, there are, today there are Christians who don't really care much for it. They don't think that the Lord's Prayer should be a really Christian prayer. Because a Christian shouldn't have to keep on praying forgive us our trespasses. Uh, uh, but they say not... <laughs> Though that, that petition is for the Christians too, um, because we still carry original sin. The saints pronounce the same supplication not from mere humility, but from truthfulness. Like we don't just say "forgive me," because just kind of out of like humility. Like, well, we're not, you know, ah, oh, shucks, we're we're not. Nobody's perfect. No, we're confessing the truth. It's not just because it's not just a sentiment of humility. Like, okay. I won't, I won't claim to be too good. I'm not good. <laughs> yeah. um, and so that's the Council of Carthage, 418. Council of Orange, later on, 529, says, If anyone denies that the whole man, that is both body and soul, was changed for the worse through the offense of Adam's sin, and, but believes that the freedom of the soul remains unimpaired, and that the only, body is, only the body is subject to corruption, he is deceived by the error of Pelagius, and contradicts the, script, the scripture, which says, and it goes on. Um, so Pelagius, Pelagianism is condemned. It's recognized as a false teaching. Um, uh, Saint Augustine. Augustine is the that's Pelagius, not Augustine. Um, Augustine is the one who writes against uh, against Pelagianism. You have him uh, in this next paragraph. Um, <coughs> Yes. Yeah, so we've gone over a couple of these. Are these sequential or are these pockets or a belief in within a system that has an identity? Or remind me how these all play. I don't see a lot of some dates, but Okay, yeah. So uh, Paul and I don't have the dates on a, like Apollinarius. So it's during this all all this time frame, you know, kind of from yep. you've got, you know, it's condemned four eighteen, four so uh, so it is a teaching, um, in, and it's named after you know someone who kind of starts it. But it's it's spread. It's within the Christian Church. Yeah, you know, but, so, but that it's help? not the whole Christian Church, but it's this pocket of kind of like bad news. Yeah, to, yeah. Stuff okay. gets gets around. And some people on the street are believing it, and the force is getting bigger. And right. So if it starts with Apollinarius, he's a preacher. He's preaching yeah. it. His people are hearing it. They're spreading it. He probably has friends. He's writing to them, saying, gotcha. "This is the you know, this is the way they're talking, and it probably spreads kind of in that area enough that the emperor, you know, they they or the you know other bishops hear about this and they hear what what is he teaching, and then they you know they have a council and they say, "What exactly are you teaching?" They argue their point. They give their scripture passages. The other side <coughs> and determines. I was just trying to get an idea of how. I don't you know. It makes it sound like Arianism first was very widespread, you know, where where they kind of feel like they're they get some majority, mm-hmm. um, which is kind of scary, especially if you were trying to run a church by majority vote, mm-hmm. which I don't think they were. The, the and this is a time when all the children um, generally, yes. Uh, I, they, their work, their schools did exist, but I, not, certainly not, probably not young children. I mean, this is before universities. 
It just I maybe won't read the whole thing of the quote from Augustine. Um, well, I don't. We, we can do it. Start at the beginning. We, for our part, assert that the human will is so divinely aided toward the doing of righteousness that, besides being created with the free will choice of his will, and beside the teaching which instructs him how to live, he, man, receives also the Holy Spirit, through which there arises in his heart a delight in and a love of that supreme and unchangeable good which is God. From, from by faith, by you know, receiving the word, a, a new will to do what is good grows within him from the grace of God, from the word of God that, that works faith in him. That gives him the desire. The desire to do what is right comes from the outside. It's not from his, hum, from his, his natural free will. Um, uh, there arises in his heart to delight... Uh, this arises even now while man still walks by faith and not by sight. By that, that by this pledge, as it were, the free gift of the free gift of God, he may burn to cleave to his maker and be on fire to approach to a share in that true light. That from him, from whom he has his being, he may also derive his blessedness. A man's free choice avails only to lead him to sin if the way of truth be hidden from him. And when it is plain to him what he should do and to what he should aspire, even then, unless he feel delight and love therein, he does not perform his duty nor attain, undertake it, nor attain to the good life. But so that we may feel this affection, the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts, not through the free choice which springs from ourselves, but through the Holy Spirit which has been given to us. So if we cling to, to, to God, to his word, to Christ, if we want to do it as good, that is something that comes to us not from our own will, because our will by nature is corrupted. Our, our sinful nature has corrupted our will too. And it does not allow us to do what is right. Even if, even if we, we think we want to, he says. Like we, even if, like, well, I want to do what is good just because I, I, I have this sense. Unless it is the work of God, it's not good. So that's why you have, you have well, not that, from passages like uh, 1 Corinthians 12. With, uh, 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 no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Unless the Holy Spirit works that in us, our will is corrupted and bound. To, and all our will wants to do is what is evil. Whatever our will does by nature, by our sinful nature, is evil. Because it is not done out of love for God. Um, and so this comes up again and again. This, um, so by the Reformation time, they, we, they start talking, you hear this, uh, the Lutherans accuse the Roman Catholics of being semi-Pelagianists. Um, everyone knows that Pelagianism is, is, is wrong, that man cannot save himself by his own will. So they say, well, of course, Pelagian, Pelagius was wrong. But the Roman church was teaching, basically, that... 
the man, man's will has a little spark of good in him and that God just has to kind of help and infuse some grace in him. And then he, by those powers, those natural powers, can affect something. And so Luther said, no, that's, that's basically Pelagianism. It's a softer version of it. So, you know, a thousand years later, the Lutherans had read about this. <laughs> and they said, well, it's, it's, you're going down the same path. That in general... In general, I think we can say that Satan is not that clever. He doesn't come up with new false teachings very often. He just recycles old ones. Uh, and temptations. You know, you see that from the Garden of Eden. It's basically the same thing that you see Jesus against the devil in the wilderness. Right? Tempts him with bread. Um, with food. With his belly. Right? And he tempts him to doubt the word of God. It's the same. He's not that, not that clever. And so they, things get repackaged. Uh, and so this comes up already in the Reformation. But again, uh, and again, too, like the you know, decision theology, uh, you know, the Billy Graham, uh, I have to make my decision for Jesus, is basically a version of this, too, because it denies, in a sense, at, at some level, the total corruptness of original sin and, and what sin does to us in our will. It doesn't allow us to simply, from our own powers, choose Jesus. Only if he chooses me, gives his grace to me, works in me a new heart, a new will, that, that I, I may believe in him and love him. All right, that's Pelagianism. We can talk Nestorianism. Nestorius was a bishop of Constantinople. So again, he's, he's a pastor uh, there, there in Constantinople. And uh, Nestorius... Um, again, has a problem, kind of like Apollinarianism, has a problem with the humanity of Jesus. Um, and so he writes, there's that, that first quote under Nestorianism, certain ones of our clergy openly blaspheme God the word. He calls it a blasphemy, as if he took his beginning from the Christ-bearing virgin and grew up with his bodily temple and was buried with it. They do not scruple to call the Christ-bearing virgin Theotokos. Theotokos means God-bearer. Um, uh, we say, the Nestorians, we say that this word is not appropriate for who who gave birth to his humanity, uh, since a true mother is of the same essence of what is born of her. So it's not right for us to say that, that Mary gave birth um, to God. Um, so, you know, how, how do... How do you do that if you think that it's, it's just like it's just beneath God for him to be in the womb of a virgin? It's like a denigration. That's what he talks about when he says it's a blasph- blaspheming God, the word. It's, it's, a, it's a denigration of God if, if, he has, if he has to mock him, dirty himself with the humanity by, by actually being, um, being tr- completely human and, and therefore being born for example. Um, and so the, what, he, what he essentially does in order to try to figure this out is he separates then the human from the divine in Christ. You've got the humanity of Jesus and then you've got the divine of Jesus. And what is born? Well, only the human is born. The divine. So whenever we're talking, when we talk Christmas, that's not God who's born. It's only the, the, the man who's born. And so you've split them up. So someone's called du, uh, duo pros, prosophism. 
Um, this, this basically makes two persons out of Jesus and splits them up and divides the, the humanity from, um, from his divinity. Uh, and so, yeah, so they would not, they could not stomach this to say, to, to, to say Mary is the mother of God, not because they were afraid of, um, uh, of uh, raising Mary too high, but they thought it was a denigration of Jesus to, to say that he was actually the son of Mary. And, and so they would say, well, Jesus is the son of Mary. Um, but like, so, you know, if you, if you end up saying, you know, is Mary, Mary is the mother of God. So if Mary is the, you, they were okay with saying Mary is the mother of Jesus. But then, it, but if Jesus is God, the child that is born to Mary is God. And, and we, if we, if we lose that, we, we, we lose his saving us. Um, uh, and so that, that term Theotokos was a big, uh, a big deal. The God-bearer. Uh, talking about Mary. Uh, the, the next three lines there, underneath there, those are also from Nestorius, where they said, that which is formed in the womb is not God can't be. Um, I hold that nature is apart, but unite the worship. So he splits up the nature, you know, the human and the divine nature. I split those apart, but I worship. I unite them in worship. I worship them together, but separate them. Um, I cannot worship a God who was born, who died, and who was buried. He says, I can't do that. Um, that was Nestorius. Uh, Cyril writes, um, this is on the other side. We do not divide the terms used in the Gospels of, our, of the Savior. All the terms in the Gospels are to be referred to one person. The one incarnate hypostasis, that's the term for the person of the word. There is one Lord Jesus Christ, according to the Holy Scriptures. Since the Holy Virgin gave birth after the flesh to God, who was united by hypostasis with flesh, therefore we say that she is Theotokos. Not as though the nature of the word has been has the beginning of its existence from the flesh. Um, so, <laughs> Jesus, the, the divine nature doesn't get its existence from the body, from Mary. So Mary is not the mother of God in the sense that <laughs> Jesus gets his existence from Mary. That Mary is the source of, of, of the divine. But she is the mother of God because Jesus is true God. The child that she bears... The baby that's in her womb is God. So, um, again, this, this comes up. This comes up again in the Reformation. Um, Lutherans accused the, the Zwinglians of being historians when they wanted to split up the... They, they, did, they thought it was beneath Jesus to be contained in bread and wine. So that, this, that can't be. Jesus' flesh can't, can't be in, in all these, these places. And said, you know, the witness said, that's an historian. So. so when they say holy virgin, they're trying to make her a bad often, Oftentimes they, they would, it, it, it's possible that, I don't know the, the writer here whether they're trying to do that. There were times when, when people would use the term holy like that, not necessarily to say that they were sinful, but just that they were better than the rest of us. 
Well, I mean, or, I mean, just like we will use the term saint for people like St. John. And John was not holy. But saint means holy. Well, all the dead people are saints. Because it means holy. Yeah. <laughs> so saint means holy. So, so, like, you know, I suppose you could say the, the, the saint virgin or saint Mary. Like, we're, that's, so any more than calling saint John, saint John does not mean that we're saying that John was without sin. If you want to think of it this way, you could, we could say, um, and this would be, would be correct, that by faith in Christ, we are saints of God, holy before God through faith in Christ Jesus. So we're all saints, just like you, you know, say, like all, the, all the Christians are saints. Um, it, it does often use as a term of, of reverence, I guess. I don't know whether the author here was trying to make that case or not. This is kind of my point. It could just be saying, like we would say, St. John. You know, like... It's a term of, of honor. I don't, I don't know. But if, if, if the writer was trying to say that she was without sin, then, then that would be wrong. And then that would be correct. That does lead to the cult of Mary. Yes, yes, this is. And <laughs> so so we'll, we'll stop there uh, at the end of Nestorianism here. We'll get to monophysitism. But so, yes, it is it, deep language. But I hope I want... For, it is good for us to be aware of this and not take what we have in the creed. What, you know, they, they fought over these terms. One person, the, the one nature, or the two natures in one person in Jesus, not dividing them. Um, and that gets flushed out, especially in the Athanasian creed later on. But, all right. Shall we close then with God's word is our great